YBC family, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I also want to encourage you, it's okay to, to listen in, and that's really good. We provide that for you on purpose. But um, if you have your Bibles, it's always good to open them yourself because a habit that I like to get into is I like to underline things. I like to circle words. I like to interact with the text. And, um, you know, no matter how much di- how digitally we've become, I do believe that some things are timeless, like your actual Bible. So I just encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter chapter 16. We're going to continue in our study of Matthew, starting in verse 13, all the way through verses, uh, all the way through verse 20. So 13 through 20 of Matthew chapter 16. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation initially. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because, of my, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of, key, of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. No doubt a, a timeless game that you have probably experienced or participated in in your family, in your home, or at least in somebody's home is the game of charades, right? The game of charades is, is really a, a game of where we are guessing either a person or an object or an animal, and it's all based on someone's ability to act out uh, characteristics that describe that person or object, And of course, the point is this, you can tell or you can guess who somebody is, well, depending upon someone's ability to impersonate, well, you can tell who someone is by unique characteristics that describe that person. Or you can tell what something is by the way it is acted out and described, You know, during the the ministry of Jesus, people had all kinds of ideas as to who he is. And their ideas were based on what they had seen or what they had heard. In fact, as Jesus even poses the question, who do people say that I am? All kinds of ideas are kind of presented. For example, some people that believe that Jesus is John the Baptist. And in fact, John the Baptist resurrected Even Herod himself in Matthew chapter 14 thought that Jesus might be John the Baptist, the person he actually put to death, because he was performing all kinds of miracles. Some people thought that Jesus was the resurrected or reincarnated Elijah. 
And, for, and the reason why they would make that conclusion was because Elijah represents the, the messianic forerunner of the of Old Testament prophecy. For example, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Jesus says this, or excuse me, Malachi says this, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. In other words, Elijah had already come and gone, but there's a prophecy saying this, Hey, Elijah's coming back. There is a new Elijah coming back. And of course, prophetically, it's a reference to Jesus Christ. We also see that some people think that Jesus is Jeremiah the prophet. And perhaps they made this conclusion because Jeremiah spoke with authority and he, and he called people to repentance so they would avoid judgment. Even Jesus himself we see in Matthew chapter 4. Again, after the wilderness, after the temptation in the desert, we see that the ministry of Jesus begins and we see that this is what defines his ministry. Verse 17, he began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some people thought maybe he's not the prophet Jeremiah, but perhaps he's some other prophet. And even Moses declared this in Deuteronomy 18 when he says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you another prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Again, this is all a foretelling. It's a foreshadow. Even Moses himself did not quite understand what he was saying. He just knew there was a promise from God that he was going to raise up a deliverer. He was going to raise up a redeemer. You might notice that all these ideas or guesses or conclusions about who Jesus is are all very complementary, right? Again, these are, other than the religious leaders, everyone thought that Jesus, or they thought of Jesus in a good light. They thought of Jesus uh, in an admirable sort of way. Um, they, you know, basically, everyone they suggested was uh, loved and accepted to some degree, But then Jesus kind of switches the the emphasis here. He's asked the question, who do people say that I am? But then now he directs the question to his disciples, the ones that are following him. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? You see, now it's getting personal. Now it's getting serious. And you see, up to this point, we see that the disciples or nobody was able to really grasp who Jesus was. Obviously, he stood out from the crowds. Obviously, he was making quite an impact in that region, but they didn't quite know who he was. There was guesses, and there were some people that, you know, even in his birth, we see that some people acknowledged his mission, but the people that were following Jesus, the people that were attracted to Jesus, did not quite understand. Even the disciples, the 12 disciples, did not quite get it. For example, you look at Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8 verse 27, after Jesus calms the winds and the seas and the raging and just the the crazy weather, they're making this conclusion, what sort of man is this? Obviously he stands out, but they don't quite know who he is. And then we see in Matthew chapter 14, again, this is Peter, this is Jesus walking on the water. Peter jumps out of the boat for a little while, and then he starts to sink. Jesus saves him, and he calms the sea, and they make this kind of deeper, but not, but not full conclusion about who Jesus is. They say, truly you are the Son of God. 
But finally, Peter gets it. Finally, Peter begins, or he finally gets it. And we see in verse 16 of Matthew 16 that Peter responds to Jesus' question, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see that Peter, in a sense as a representative of the disciples, Peter is the first to recognize Jesus for who he really is. That Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus praises Peter for his confession. In fact, he calls Peter blessed. Now, why would, why would Peter be blessed by his confession of who Jesus is? Well, we see it very clearly in our text that Peter is blessed because the very fact that Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ revealed that God the Father had given Peter this understanding. In other words, Peter could not have come to this conclusion by his own intellectual deduction. Again, he was a fisherman, so he wasn't uh, very astute in academia. We see that Peter could not have come to this conclusion even based upon the miracles that Jesus did. Everybody had been seeing him, but they still did not know or make that connection that Jesus was the Christ. Now, Peter came to this conclusion that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah because of divine revelation from God the Father. Remember what I, what I preached on last week, right? Right? Belief in God begins with God and is completed by God. Our whole salvation is dependent. It starts and it, it is finished by God. And now Peter here is he's he's professing, he's confessing, he's he's explaining or kind of expounding on the fact that Jesus is not just a nice guy, a good teacher who's able to do some pretty amazing things, but he is the Christ. And that information, that understanding, that realization can only be because God the Father has opened his eyes to such truth. Remember also that Christ does not mean is not Jesus' last name. Remember that Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. It, is his, uh, it points to his identity. It points to his mission. Christ means Messiah or anointed from God. In other words, Jesus was the promised anointed one that would take away the sins of the world. Even Moses way back in Deuteronomy foretold this. Many of the prophets foretold this and now that time was here. Well, Jesus transitions from praising Peter to confirming Peter's identity. Jesus tells Peter who, uh, basically who he is. It's almost as if uh, Jesus is saying this, Peter, you just told me who I am, and now I'm going to tell you who you are. Peter, you just acknowledge me for who I really am, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are. Are. And in verse 18, Jesus says this I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is this rock that Jesus is referring to? Again, we are opening, we are unpacking a verse or a passage of Scripture that has multiple interpretations, multiple denominations, multiple different uh, camps that are represented based off of this interpretation. 
First of all, let me just kind of unpack it very simply for us. Jesus says that Peter, first of all, we need to understand that Peter means rock. It, the, the, the word is actually petros. It means rock. But the rock that Jesus uses after he says, you are Peter or you are petros, he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So Jesus kind of utilizes a sort of a word play here. Peter, your name means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. The question that we have to ask or pose this morning is this. Is the rock referring to Peter? Is the rock referring to Jesus? Or is the rock referring to Peter's confession about Jesus? The Catholic Church says that Peter is the rock on which Christ will build his church. Meaning that Peter and his successors, i.e. the, the, the popes, are the head of the church. That is the Catholic interpretation. But surprisingly, actually, many Protestants actually believe that Jesus refers to Peter as the rock as well. They believe that, no, when, G- Peter's, when Jesus says, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, he's making reference to Peter himself. So it's not just a Catholic position, it is also a Protestant position, at least by many Protestants. But the reason why Protestants believe that Jesus is referring to Peter as the rock is because Peter was the first to confess that Jesus is the Christ. So Peter, along with all the other apostles, are the foundation on which the church will be built. Paul makes reference to this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Listen to this. He says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, you are, but you are citizens or fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So from a Protestant perspective, we see that, yes, Jesus is saying, Peter, you are Peter, but you are also the rock in which I will build my church, but the rock is really the, the beginning Others believe that Jesus is really referring to himself as the rock. Uh, And those that believe that Jesus to be the rock highlight the differences in the words that are used. For example, Petros refers to Peter, and Petra literally means bedrock or foundation rock. And the point here is that Jesus is the foundation on which the church is built, not Peter. Justification for this on a biblical level is by Peter's own confession, in Acts chapter 4, for example, we see that Jesus says this, the, the, Peter says this, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or listen to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. As he quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, he says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Or in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, A wise man builds on the foundation of Jesus' teaching. And of course, since the teaching of Jesus cannot be separated from the person of Jesus, then Jesus is the foundation on which the church is built. And so there's 
a lot of biblical justification for this interpretation. Others will say that Peter's confession is the rock. Peter's confess- Peter confesses the true identity of Jesus, and immediately after, Jesus says that he will build his church based upon Peter's, Peter and his confession that he is the Messiah. Interestingly enough, many early church Catholic fathers also held this view. The question for you and for me today is this, which view is correct? Which interpretation is most aligned biblically? Obviously, everybody's using the text. The question is, what's the correct interpretation? Thankfully, I have the answer. I'm just kidding. You may disagree with me, and that's okay, but I believe that what the text is saying, I believe that what what Matthew is portraying and what Jesus is teaching here for us is a kind of a, a hybrid of two views, meaning that I believe that Peter is the rock that Jesus is referring to, but only initially. As we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter is the one who gave the initial sermon after Jesus ascended into heaven. And we see the result of that sermon in Acts 2 that 3,000 souls came to sal- salvation. They came to believe that Jesus is the Christ. In the same breath, we also see that the, all the apostles played a foundational role in the beginning of the church, like I, like I quoted from Ephesians chapter 2. It's the foundation of the church is built on the, on the apostles and the prophets. We see in Acts chapter 2 that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, not just to Peter's teaching. And so the focus of Jesus' declaration begins with Peter because he's the first to confess truly that Jesus is the Christ. But we also must understand that it's not about Peter. So there's a distinction. It begins with Peter, And Peter is the first to confess, and that is very important. But it doesn't end with Peter. It's not all about Peter. It starts with Peter, but it continues through the apostles. In fact, it continues through anyone who is faithful to proclaim the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus. The rock is anyone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus. And we see that the church grows by the Spirit-empowered proclamation of Jesus, of which the apostles, especially Peter, first started or initiated, and in which God continues through us. And I believe what is even most profound about our Spirit-empowered proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is that nothing can stop it. Not even all the forces of evil will be able to stop the church from growing. What began over 2,000 years ago because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because He empowered His, His apostles, His disciples by the Spirit, what began through the apostles continues to this day globally. As David Platt says, he says, wherever the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, the church will be built. So we see, brothers and sisters, that the church, which, by the way, is any gathering of people that have the same purpose of following Jesus, that's the church. The church will continue to grow no matter how much resistance or hostility it faces. 
And the reason for this is because Jesus promised it would. Because he said, I will build my church. In other words, the continuation and the growth of the church isn't dependent upon us, though God uses us. But Jesus says, I am the one who's going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. How in the world is that possible? Because Jesus is king. He's, just, he's not like us in this sense. He is the one who is king. He is the one who rules over all. I mean, not to bring up Christmas right now, but when you look at what the angel said to Mary before she even had Jesus in her womb, listen to what he says in Luke 1, verse 33. This Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Or listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, a very familiar passage to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now that does not mean that the church will not experience great opposition. Even Jesus encourages and really reminds his disciples especially in John chapter 14 through 16 he says in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world you will experience great hostility you will experience opposition you will experience attacks from the enemy people will hate you they hated me they will hate you why would you think they would like you but hate me it makes no sense if you're my followers they will hate you also but be encouraged No matter what opposition, no matter what resistance, no matter what people do or what our enemy is doing in this world, the gospel continues to go forward. The church continues to be built and God, King Jesus, rules and reigns forever. In fact, I love that picture, that reminder that the the Apostle John gives for us in Revelation chapter 20. Again, Satan is released after the millennial reign and and, and after the thousand years come to an end, he's released from prison and a great army, a great host of army that are uh, innumerable basically come for the purpose of just all-out war. It's good versus evil, the, the final decision. It doesn't last long apparently according to the prophecy because John says they all come together and fire from heaven comes down and consumes all of them. And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into a fiery lake of burning sulfur joining the beast and the false prophet and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So brothers and sisters, no matter what happens in our world, one thing Jesus reminds us of very clearly is that nothing will thwart God's redemptive plan. Nothing will get in the way of God growing his church and building his church. Nothing will change that. And we get to be a part of that. 
Finally, Jesus says in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We will speak to this more in Matthew chapter 18, so I won't spend much time on this right now, but to bind and to loose, sometimes the language can be a little confusing. To bind means to forbid or, or to lock. To loose means to permit or to open. And really what Jesus is getting here is because, especially in regard to our interpretation of Peter being the rock, we see that Peter is acknowledging, or Peter is really kind of telling Peter and all the disciples that, hey, you, have, you now have the authority. Whatever you say will be so. Whatever you do will come to pass. Now we must understand that this authority is not unaccountable. In other words, they don't, Jesus doesn't say, now you have the authority, do whatever you want or say whatever you want. No, their authority is given by God. And it is grounded or rooted or founded in the word of God. Therefore, the authority that the, the, the apostles and that you and I even have today is because of what God has already said and done. We have authority because Jesus says we have authority. And what that means most practically is this. What, what the, the authority we have to loose or to bind is this. When we say, for example, that someone is dead in their sins, it is so. Not because we say it, but because it is grounded in the Word of God. It's grounded in Scripture. Because God already says it, we as His proclaimers, as His disciples are proclaiming what is true and right. We don't decide what is true and what is right or what is wrong. God does. And therefore, when we are consistent and dependent and faithful to what God has already determined as right and wrong, true and not true, then we have the authority to tell people either you, your sins are forgiven or you are lost and dead in your sin. Again, this is more thoroughly unpacked in Matthew chapter 18, so I'll wait till we get to that text to understand it in a better context. The fact is, in this passage, there are a number of potentially confusing or differing interpretations. And, and you know, sometimes we can kind of get wrapped around the axle and wonder, you know, how am I supposed to walk away from this? How do I kind of become a little, more, a little more settled in my soul or in my mind? And, you know, where am I supposed to land on some of these somewhat confusing passages? Let me just say this. Regardless of interpretation, may we not miss the clear and simple, important teaching that is emphasized here. And that is this, that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what we must walk away with. Peter confessed it because of divine revelation. And you and I must come to grips with that truth. I think there are two points of application that I would like to highlight as it, I think, as it, as it applies to you and to me. The first point of application is this. Who you say Jesus is determines the manner in which you follow him. Who you say Jesus is determines the manner in which you follow him. 
In other words, knowing Jesus as He really is radically affects everything in your life. It is crucial that that all professing followers of Jesus know Jesus as He really is. To know Jesus as Scripture describes Him because it determines the degree of your commitment. It determines the depth of your surrender. In other words, if we do not get this right, if we don't understand clearly and confidently who Jesus is, then whatever we think will directly influence how we follow Him or listen to Him. I've relayed this illustration a long time ago, but it came to mind again. And I was reflecting back on my days at Talbot Seminary, which is on the same campus as Biola, and this isn't a knock or anything, it's just kind of an observation. And I remember walking down the the pathway, I think to a a class or something, and I saw this guy's shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And uh, I've never forgot that shirt because I think, or I I believe what what is being communicated by that is Jesus is very uh, approachable. Jesus is very uh, uh, lovable. You know, he, he's one of us in a sense. And in a sense, it's, it's kind of highlighting the fact that Jesus is very relatable and, and, and we can be around him. And on the one hand, that's true. But it definitely falls short. Because if we think of Jesus as our homeboy, then I think it exposes that we don't really know Jesus for who he really is. Sometimes we want our Savior to be a Savior in our making. We want Jesus to be a a guy that is more comfortable to us. We want Jesus to be a, a certain way so that he's more relatable from our perspective. But brothers and sisters, he is not just a friend, though that is true, but he is king and he is Lord. And depending on how you think about him or what you think of him will determine your fellowship. It will determine the degree in which you follow. For example, if you think of Jesus merely as a good teacher, then you might think of adopting some of his teachings. But that's about it. Or if you think of Jesus merely as a good example, then perhaps you will consider following his example to some degree. Or if you think of Jesus as a social justice warrior, then you'll pay more attention to the way he met people's practical needs instead of their spiritual needs. But if you think of Jesus as fulfilled prophecy as the promised Messiah who came to earth on a divine rescue mission to save us from our sins, to conquer, the, to conquer death and evil once and for all, and to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, then that radically influences you. It radically influences how you follow Him and how you listen to Him, how you surrender to Him, how you fulfill your mission. I've always remembered what A.W. Tozer, how he kind of describes this. And we did a whole series on this. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. 
Once again, brothers and sisters, it's crucial that we get this right. It's crucial that we understand Jesus for who he really is. That's why even our mission statement uh, as a church at IBC is that we would make disciples that make disciples first by knowing God intimately. Because out of a process or first and foremost desire to know God intimately, we can fulfill our mission faithfully. Until we know and love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, only then can we love our neighbor as ourselves. Only then can we fulfill our, our commission mandate to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. It all begins with knowing God and loving God as He really is. So let me ask you, IBC family, Wherever you're sitting, in your living room, in your den, wherever it is, who do you say Jesus is? Honestly, who who do you say Jesus is? Second question to follow that question is this. Is your understanding of Jesus biblical? You see, how you answer these questions will radically determine the way you follow Him. In fact, I think I can go on to say in this way, your life, your decisions, your choices, your pursuits, your values are all revealed or they all reveal what you truly think about Jesus. If Jesus is truly king, then what in your life expresses and shows that Jesus is king? Second point of application. Your confidence in life rests in the true identity of Jesus Christ. Your confidence in life right now rests in the true identity of Jesus Christ. This is what I'm getting at. Knowing that Jesus is God, knowing that Jesus is King, knowing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Alpha and Omega, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world, that Jesus is the Messiah, assures you and it assures me with absolute confidence that God will prevail and that Satan and death will be destroyed. Once again, knowing Jesus for who He really is gives us great assurance, instills great confidence, emboldens us, in fact, that Jesus wins in the end. And though we may look horizontally and scratch our heads and go, Lord, what is going on? And though maybe statistics will say this, Islam is growing and this is growing and this movement's growing and everything's going COVID, everything else, and everything's going on. Brothers and sisters, relax. Jesus is on the throne. Do you think that He is scrambling right now? No. No, when everything seems to be falling apart, the fact is everything is falling into place. When the whole world seems to be uprooted and chaotic, we actually know 
that everything is falling right into place. Even as I was in a conversation this past week and the question was asked of me, aren't you a little scared? It seems like we're in the end times. I'm, of course, if you look at scripture, we've always been in the end times, right? For a couple thousand years, so it's really hard to understand what end times means. But I know what you're meaning. I know what you, many of you are probably thinking. Is this the end of the end? Is this the beginning of the end? Are we really on the home stretch here? And it's somewhat scary because things are not normal. Things are not predictable. Things are not comfortable. By the way, when, were ever, when was anything ever predictable? When was anything ever controllable? The perception of control is just that. You think you're in more control than you really are. But brothers and sisters, be encouraged in this way. That there actually is nothing to fear. And that as a child of the king, as a son and daughter of God's family, you have nothing to fear. That God continues to rule and reign and that the gates of hell Satan and his dominion nothing will stand in the way of God completing what he has begun so let me conclude in this way brothers and sisters who do you say Jesus really is Well, much like Peter, I believe that Dr. S.M. Lockridge answers this question very well. It's a question that he kind of answered in a sermon given way back in 1976 in what is famously titled, That's My King. So if you're wondering to yourself, who is Jesus really? How am I to understand Jesus as he really is? Well, let's just listen together and draw some conclusions. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleansed the lepers. 
He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. Well, amen and amen, brothers and sisters. I can't think of a more profound and powerful way to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus really? Who do you say that He is? Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would know Him as He really is as he has revealed himself, as we see him all throughout the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, the question that is posed by Dr. Lockridge, do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? I pray that if you do not know him or that you are confused, that you would take the time to ask that question, to talk with one another you can call the church office, you can email me, you can call, you know, email Pastor Tom, whatever it is, but we would love to come alongside you. We would love to clarify any confusion, to answer any questions, because your greatest need in life, the greatest need that you have in life is to be in right relationship with Jesus. Just yesterday, I helped a dear brother whose dad is in hospice right now. And um, there's nothing like death to, to sober us up in a, a necessary way to understand that in the end, this is our end. That in the end, we come with nothing and we end with nothing. We all must live with looking kind of with, with death in mind. We must all live with a sense that, our, that we are fragile, that we will one day die. And the greatest question you will answer on this side of eternity is this, am I right with God? Am I in relationship with God? Have my sins been forgiven? Have I humbled myself and surrendered myself to King Jesus? 
so that when I do die in this life, I am promised, I am guaranteed a new life, a new body, an incorruptible body waiting for us in the full presence of King Jesus. I pray that that is true of you. I pray that you would walk away confident, strengthened, and empowered with this truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now that is our acknowledgement, that is our declaration, and that is our hope. That you, Jesus, are not just a prophet. You are not just a good teacher. You are not just uh, a person who was very influential. But Father, you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one from God who came for the purpose of taking away the sins of this world. And Father, I just pray that if we have not received this gift of grace, that we have, if we have not received this gift of mercy, that today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who may have received it in the past but are not living by the resurrected power of the gospel, I pray that, Father, that we would no longer be a slave to sin, but that we'd be right with you, that we'd be restored into right relationship, that we would confess our sins knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we know that salvation starts with you and it ends with you. And I pray that we all, if our hearts are being awakened, if our hearts are being wooed, that we would not resist, but that we would, with open hands, receive the goodness of God as perfectly expressed in Christ Jesus. And to that end, Father, we say thank you and that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. One final announcement before I close, before I say goodbye is this. Uh, starting next week, uh, the live stream service time will be at 10 a.m. No, no longer at 9 a.m., but at 10 a.m. We are actually going to be kind of opening up our doors, and there'll be a, a small contingency of people here. Um, and that being said, we want to make sure that you're aware, if you are just planning on live streaming for uh, the inevitable future, uh, that it'll be at 10 o'clock Sunday mornings. We look forward to seeing you. God bless you.